So, dude, a pleasure as always to have you over. I can't believe I've lived here in this house for a good seven-ish years after living with you. Yeah. And it's the first time. You lived here straight after. No, I mean maybe I moved over to Boris's. Okay. And and then I moved here, and then that was really brief. Well, I mean the apartment I've had in a, and other people have lived here. Boris lived here. Eric lived here, and okay. I've been back living here okay. for like four. Okay. Maybe five. You've always five. had this place. Yeah, very. I mean, had in the yeah. in a, an amazing socialist German way, which is my name's on the contract, and I've been able to. And you pay rent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, would you please tell me your name? Uh, my name is Julie F. <laughs> Duly noted. <clears throat> Anonymity. Some anonymity or a lot? Yes. Enough? Uh, yeah, I mean, enough. Okay. Um, so we had enough... T- if we're going to get the, down and down and dirty and into the war stories, no, not too many war stories, but... I mean, depends where we go. Yeah. So, we'll find out. Yeah. We'll it'll, be, it'll be... I mean, I'm, I have piles of questions, mm-hmm. of which I have the um, background to kind of... Yeah, um, have connection to these stories. So I think that's something I really enjoy about making these conversations happen is that like a, a bit of a deeper dive into people I really value. Yeah, um, nice. Happy to be here. Dude, what a pleasure. So yesterday, what day is today? Two days ago. Saturday, the 5th of March. Today is the Monday. So Two days ago. You got 21 years sober. 21 years, 21 years clean and sober. Dude, thank you for coming to, to have a, a chit-chat on... On this, like, very punk, like, zero tech, no producing. I couldn't, honestly, I couldn't think of a better way to spend, uh, to spend my day off and, and celebration of 21 years to be here and have a chat with my old pal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so there's so much happening right now. Yeah. The world. Yeah. The home front. Yeah. Rooney's in heat. Rooney's in heat. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot happening. It's like it's sort of um, how do we how do we how do we live on a day to day basis knowing that uh, some arsehole in Russia could you know press a button at any time and the unpredictability of it all is I'm sure frightening for everybody, myself included. And um, but then we put in the principle, like, it, you have to, you, you just, I mean, you just sort of have to live in the day. I've got one friend who's really not handling things quite well at the moment. Mm. They're kind of going off their head. And and just, yeah, like, it's kind of, you know, so often we have, like, a lot of answers to things. When you've been in around. recovery? Well, sometimes, when you've been around the block, sometimes, like, sometimes I feel like I do have a lot of answers to questions. You know, like, I've earned those stripes a little bit. Um, yes, you have. <sighs> For instance, like I know when someone, you know, gets clean and gets sober, I can, you know, and, you know, in AA, there's obviously a bunch of promises and they're not maybes. They're like, you know, they're hardcore facts. They're promises. You do this, this will happen. But I think what's, you know, and then of course we had a pandemic and that was scary in itself. Um, You got it real bad. You got yeah, that so was, sick. yeah, that was bad. But that was two years ago now, would you believe? Um, and then to come out of that and then to come into like a war. I think I think that's hard. I think that's hard for a lot of people. And I mean, mostly for Ukrainians, obviously. But, um, yeah. Yeah. So, you, how the road to getting sober was pretty rough because you were. Is it okay to be explicit? You're yeah. with what you were using and how how, yeah, totally. how long that took. So, using kind of started as a very young person for you. Yeah. In Dublin. Yeah. 
and it was around like the sort of rave scene yeah like obviously like in the 90s yeah that's when yeah so i guess how long ago so this was what well i mean i saw nirvana play live in dublin in 1992 did you yeah so then then i was definitely having a few drinks i think i was like maybe 12 when i went to see them and yeah the rave scene kicked off in dublin i mean i was like like i don't know i was just Sometimes I think, I was saying to my friend on the phone the other day that the journey of recovery for me, maybe for you too, is, is sort of like this full circle moment where, you know, like when you were a kid, like f- four or five, six years old, and you're so full of joy and you know who you are and everything's great and you're so confident. And, um, you know, for me, I was a little tomboy, I was playing, you know, I was playing boys, traditional boys games, um, inverted commas there for listeners. Um, until someone told me, why are you doing that? Like, that's for boys. And then, you know, all the questions start coming in and then we sort of come into puberty. So, so for me, the, my journey of recovery has been, has been this whole full circle journey back to who I really was maybe like before I picked up. But yeah, um, yeah, drinking and drink, drinking and all that kind of car- carry on when, when, I, when I, you know, in my early teens and stuff. And then I think around 15, when I was kind of really unhappy in school, I changed schools and I was going to school in, in Dublin City and uh, the rave scene was taken off in, in, in Dublin. And uh, my sister, my older sister, she was 18 and she took me to, um, she took me to a nightclub and she gave me my first pill and like uh, the, the best thing ever you know it was like <laughs> you know, I was so un- I was so unhappy in my skin and and so un- like yeah uh, the the deep you know the same stuff the deep self-hatred and the not fitting in and uh where do I belong and then really quickly I was like oh this is amazing I'm going to take drugs now this is exactly what I, I was supposed to do I was supposed to take drugs now I know is it, it because of queerness in particular that you were... I mean I was in such self-denial like the denial around my um, sexuality was so so deep that I couldn't even acknowledge it to myself but only in hindsight and looking back of how I was when I was younger I can see like my behavior for instance I had a best friend and I loved my best friend we like we um her dad was a musician he played guitar and you know every day I was like oh I want to go over I want to go over and see, see my best friend. And like, I just wanted to be around her like all the time. And like, and which kind of played out in like earlier relationships in my life. Like I would, I felt like I was always the one like calling her. You want to, do you want to hang out? Do you want to go to the park? Do you want to do this? Do you want to like see what's happening? And it was always me doing the chasing and not like receiving, but we were best friends, like best friends forever. But in hindsight, I think that I probably was in love with her and just wanted to be with her all the time. But these are only realizations I came to like as an adult, but an outsider looking in at how I behaved as a young person is like screaming dyke, like, you know, that kind of way, like all the signs were there, but, um, I wasn't able to come out till, uh, till, or, you know, till early recovery really. And even then that, that whole thing was a journey. Like I, so Catholicism problematic. Yeah. Like uh, cultural, societal norms. Yeah. Like, I didn't, as like, I mean, if maybe like, yeah, sure, Catholicism. I mean, I stopped going. We had to go to mass every Sunday, and you know, 
we would, my mom did question us on who, who said the gospel and uh, what was mass about because then when we got a bit older we, we didn't used to go to mass we just used to go around the back of the church and smoke cigarettes but then <laughs> somebody might take a pamphlet so we would know what the, go- the gospel is about crafty um but I, I i i feel like i never believed in god more than when i was actually using drugs and wanted to get off drugs so like please god get me out of this the amount of praying that happened in my active addiction was like next level right like you're practicing practicing <laughs> practicing but i mean like as a cat like we i didn't hear like i never heard messaging like homosexuality is like that's not what i heard as a kid in like in in when we used to go to mass on a sunday i didn't you know the the priest didn't really talk about that or anything and that that wasn't a strong like not like the way it is in the states that wasn't strong messaging for me that that messaging like again as an adult or in a as a person in recovery looking back over what the whole thing with mass and catholicism was so but my issue with Catholicism was that, like, on a societal level, like, you know, for instance, I didn't know any dykes, I didn't know any lesbians, I didn't know anything, I didn't see anything. It's like, they, when I was growing up, it's like they didn't exist. So even if I did have some hmm. realisations, I didn't wasn't even able to bounce it off anything. So it was just something that was very, very deep, deeply, deeply hidden inside me. And where was the scene? Where was, like, Madame George and, like down in dublin like where a dead george dead uh, george well there's this you know like there's a van morrison call, song called madam george and it's like a historical figure of, of like i'm guessing like a, a trans feminine person who ran a brothel i'm gonna paraphrase here and all the queer kids from the neighborhood would hang out with this person and then they'd get raided and they'd drop the drugs out the window and this person, I just assume it would be like in Dub- Dublin City somewhere. Like, where was there like a sanctuary? Was there a queer? When you were a kid, was that were there visible queer spaces or in well, any way or? I, I, the, the the most visible, I guess, the most visible. I mean, that's so interesting. I need to look that up because I don't I don't know that story at all. Yeah, it comes up in a lot of music of the time. Like yeah, I mean, maybe it's. Be- I mean, I wonder is it Belfast? Oh shit! I'm sorry, that's Belfast. Because because Van Morrison. I mean, the place has definitely existed. Like, there is a, a very famous bar in Dublin called Dead George. And even in my using, I frequented this bar, but as a straight person, oh, but yeah. wanted to have a look around, you know? Still so deep inside that I, like, and, and you know, I'm high and I'm on drugs and I still, it, my inhibitions were never lowered enough for me to go, oh, I, I, I think I'm, I think I'm a dyke or whatever. Dude, me too. I, I only dipped into the pot once I got sober. Yeah, didn't yeah. Didn't have the courage and yeah, fire. Yeah, yeah. Deep. Consensually. Yeah, 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 sure. By choice. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in, I mean, I had, I mean, I had, I definitely had, like, lesbian experiences when I, when I was high in my later years of addiction. Um, but even that was nothing, so to speak, you know? Like, it didn't really register. I mean, look, all I cared about was getting high you know and everything else was kind of like part and of that mad story that, that came along with it and it was really accessible and cheap or what did you have to do to get high i mean if you're willing to talk about yeah that. sure i mean my whole like i mean yeah i mean cheap like in 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 dublin in dublin you know you get a bag of heroin for 10 pounds at the time it was pre-euro um and 
or like they were kind of sold in 10 bags and 20 bags 20 pound bags how long did that last a day uh that's mm, not i mean towards the end no um you maybe you'd need you know i don't know you'd maybe be shooting up every four hours kind of towards the end and but t- towards the end of my addiction i was more it felt like i was more sick than i was high um uh but yeah my thing was uh my main thing for getting money was uh falsifying prescriptions actually um uh yeah kind of writing the the doctor latin style prescriptions robbing script pads i was like i had a whole hustle i used to forge them as well like the actual pads and uh wow, yeah yeah i mean for a while like so i used to sell like benzos like at the time like uh i think the blue the, the blue ones like the 10 milligram ones that get you maybe a pound and then the the five milligram yellow volumes would get you i think 50 pence I'm stretching my brain now um but yeah so if you sold like a month supply of them you know that's you know 30 quid and you're good to go and that was on the street you sell yeah on the street like i used to hang around like a methadone clinic in dublin um uh so kind of around there at the time or one stage I actually had a job in a chemist. That didn't last long. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was a chemist in Ring's End and it was, it was ran by these really old, kind of old husband and wife team, but they were kind of elderly, you know, so, uh, you know, you know, I was kind of spinning lies. Like I've always wanted to be a pharmacist, but I never had like, you know, the aptitude to study for the four, four to six years or whatever it is to be a pharmacologist. But I just want to be in the atmosphere. So I'd love to do so I'm applying for the position of counterhand. And um, I just had access to so much stuff in this place. And But I was going to raise. I was taking benzos. I couldn't keep my eyes open. I used to always fall asleep at work. Um yeah it's really that period is actually like really hazy but i remember they got me to clean out the cellar one time and i was like sound i'll clean out the cellar and i found all these like drugs like one drug that i really loved was um a cyclomorph which was a mix which was a like an injectable ampule which was a mixture of um morphine and cyclozine so the cyclozine was this uh, the cyclozine was added because i don't know if you've ever taken morphine makes you feel quite na- nauseous and a lot of people can get, get sick on it but the cyclozine was added to prevent that but it kind of added an extra kick and it was kind of slightly psychedelic Ooh. anyways i cleaned out but these were the drugs that would have been under lock and key normally and but the drugs that they had in the cellar was just like loads and loads of stuff like baby form like loads of out-of-date shit like it needed to be cleaned out thrown out but then i came across all these glass ampules and i think they were like five or six years out of date but it's in an airtight glass ampule. So, so I just pocketed the whole lot of them and, uh, yeah, went home. After the races? Uh, after the races. Um, so, yeah, I mean, not, you know, there, there was definitely some good times in my active addiction. And, like, it really worked for, like, you know, quite some time. But it also didn't work for a very long time. And, you know... You know in the, total, like a decade or something? Yeah, I think, like... Um, I think like with opiates and stuff like that, like I was using, I mean, I guess I was 17 when opiates came along and I, I, I finally got clean and sober when I was 23. So about six years of that, um, which is a fucking long time. You know, it's not 20, 30 years. But it's a long time to survive. It's a long time. 
and a lot of stuff happened, you know. It's it's funny because the first, you know, you know, when I was using drugs, I thought I'd never get clean. I was like, I'm so fucked. This is like, like I'm I'm never ever going to get clean. I'm like supposed to be like this junkie. I'm supposed to be this fucked up person, you know. And I had Hep C, like all these, you know, health issues, and then I had a lot of, uh, you know, in trouble with with the with the police as well, and I had different court cases ha- hanging over me, and it was just such a Ugh. such a fucking mess. Um, so yeah, you know, like, you know, things start to fall apart really fucking quickly. So if you're kind of dragging that out for a few years or, I mean, was it just you or were you you running? It was really just me in the end. Like I ran with different people at different periods and stuff like, you know, a lot and a lot of them are dead actually. And I had, when I was home at Christmas, um, the person, the, the, the original young young boy who introduced me to opiates i was gonna ask you who sh- who showed you how to rig yeah so yeah his dad was i mean I won't name any names now ranting um but his dad was a doctor and so he was the one who originally showed me how to like forge scripts and like we used to always rob his dad's you know uh doctor's bag and as you do we, exper- <laughs> we experimented with all his dad's drugs and stuff and um and uh when i think when i was so like so uh, you know I used to think of him often like I would think of him often and wonder and stuff. It, when we were using together, he went to Canada for a stint actually. Huh. Um, Friendly Canada. Yeah, and then came back. But like, uh, we kind of right, uh, every now and again our paths would cross and and stuff like that. And then whatever. In the, in the years while you're using. In the years while I was using, they kind of no like they are like. We used to get it for a while. He bailed to Canada. I was kind of then. I was on a mission on my own. I kind of ran with different people after that, but like I felt very solo and very, you know, didn't really like didn't have friends or anything like that. Like I just was just, you know, yourself. You just hang around with drug buddies and you're off robbing with someone or you're off doing something else with someone. Then someone else comes along. There's no actual real fucking friendships, like you know. Um, when I was but when I was about ten years clean and sober, this person called me one Christmas. And I, so I was 10 years and I was like, you know, enjoying what that brought. And, um, and they were just asking me, they were on a methadone, they were on a methadone program and they were, they said they had like a weird dream and I was in it and they were asking me what's it like to be clean? Like, I think I want to be clean. And I was saying, being clean is fucking great. You know, like I'm loving recovery. Um, obviously it has its ups and downs, but, uh, I, you know, I was really trying to sell it to this person cause I would love this person to get clean. And then every Christmas, so I go home every Christmas, Brody, pretty much to Dublin. And, you know, when I go home, I'm flooded with a lot of memories of how things used to be or my childhood and growing up. Like, it's, I go home to the same house where I grew up and um, all the stuff that goes with that. And, you know, and I, and I, and I, maybe I'll do a Google search or a Facebook search of this person. So I did it this Christmas again, as per. I, they go through my mind, I have a little look. And then lo and behold, I found a death notice from 2019. Mm. Yeah. Fuck. And I was with my little sister and then, um, don't even know why I'm getting emotional there, but she started crying and I started crying and it was just like, like, you know, that's not, you know, I don't talk about recovery and stuff, but actually like getting clean and staying clean and maintaining, you know, you know, a life like, you know, the percentage is really low, you know, we're, and I, I know, you know, I feel like sometimes I often feel like, you know, I have you in my life and I have myself and all of that, but not many people get this far, I don't think, you know. Um, so a lot of the people I used with are relapsed or dead. 
Um, I can think of if you, you know, I can think of four or five people of you know who I used with, who I know are dead. Hmm. So it's it makes no sense to me as well. Not really. I mean, intellectually, no, right? Yeah. I've seen about today what the difference, you know, like when someone's relapsing, it's almost, it's almost like a step. I mean, it's definitely a step towards, like if you're relapsing, coming back in, at least you're coming back in. Then there's people who are just out. Yeah. Out. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, there's like a relapse. It seems that to me there's a relapse mentality or there's a, a, definitely a pattern, you know, but, mm. and I don't know if I'm, I don't know. I've never, I've, I just can't, I just, just it, it's over. I don't have it in me. It's over. Like, I also feel like that. And I think we've talked about this in the past. If I pick up, it's over. Like, there's no coming back. Mm-mm. It doesn't feel like there's a coming back for me. Because um, it's just like, woohoo, ride him, cowboy. Like, it's just, choose, see y'all later. Like, Gonskis, you know? I re- and, I, and I really feel that, like, you know what I mean? And I can't mess around or dip dip tip I don't know I can't mess around with this thing um and 21 years 21 days like you know 21 hours 21 hours you know you have a choice after 21 hours you know you're you, you know 21 days you've got a choice 21 years you've got a choice in active addiction like we don't have any choices right it's just like this is just this is just you're just mental and the compulsion and obsession is too much and you can't control yourself and or else you've got physical physical addictions driving you right you're not very limited in the, in the choice world but when you're fucking sober and when you're clean and sober there's a choice right so you're literally making a choice i'm choosing death or i'm choosing this over dealing um with whatever life's thrown at me and then you know and life is fucking hard you know but you know we could we could be we could take a nihilist approach a, ni- a nihilist nihilist nihilistic approach here you know especially with this pandemic or ukraine ah fuck it we're all gonna die anyway like why not let's just have a blowout you know but i don't know i think it's a uh i think my it's my it's it would crush my spirit like i think more than anything it's not really looking for a way out it's like no this is i'm this is I'm choosing a way of life of like a spiritual fulfillment or nourishing my soul or so even on my last days on earth I want to feel feel those feelings feel those feelings like and go yeah this is this is it like you know so then how did you get clean how did you manage did you end up did you end up getting caught and going to getting in like that came later um so like I said like what when I, when you were asking me how much I was using, I said I was more sick than I was high. So like I used to in in the hustle of the hustle of using, you know, like if I was, I, I know I used to also beg for money like in Dublin as well. Um, and I had a lot of hustle, or I'd be robbing, or like I used to do handbag snatches. Like I used to yeah. do. I mean, I was an, <laughs> you know, I was a ten and out thief. Like I went into my neighbors and I robbed my next door neighbors like Game Boy and you know you know anything and everything anything that wasn't nailed down was getting robbed and sold. Um, even I remember really I was ha- like I hung out at a like I was I was sort of like I had I had I had experienced recovery and had gone to enough meetings but I was out again using and now I was kind of hanging around with a new gang of people I was seeing a boy at the time and uh who was pretty like obsessed with me so great like another brilliant person that I can manipulate and get them to do what I want to do and stuff and 
they were kind of like his his friends were like kind of party heads like they just went to raves and you know took ecstasy and stuff like this and smoked hash but I remember like he'd be like oh there's an after party going on so I'd be like stoned out my box go over to the after party but I have you know everyone's all love and peace at the after party you know people's jackets bags stuff's all like strung around one of them's a hash dealer there's a nine bar in the in the press and I would just fleece everybody, like take all the money. I took this nine bar of hash. I mean, I don't know what, maybe, I don't know, do you guys call it nine bar? In a no, minute? I was wondering what it means. So it's like, it's hashish and it's a big kind of bar like that, sort of. That What's that, like six, in, six, in, six inches by three by one, I'd say. Before you cut off, like, yeah. in Dublin they're called five spots or ten spots. Like a five pound strip of hashish or a t- ten spot, like a bit like double the size. Yeah. <laughs> or, and then and I just robbed this block and it's fucked <laughs> off out the door and went down to went down to the flats in Dublin and I was just like I had a like a knife and I was just like not you know hacking into the thing like and just going people do you want to buy a bit of hash every little no matter how big the nugget was I was going for a tenner like and just real messy like this and you know it's real like bottom bottom barrel like kind of junky um like and you know I you know I wasn't taken serious as a junkie I was you know I got ripped off and you know plenty of times as well and were you injured like were you and no not really like one you know one time i tried this is a true story like i actually owned a moped at one point and um i remember i the moped cost about two and a half thousand pounds or whatever it was two thousand pounds can't remember but i sold this moped for 800 pounds worth of heroin and i had like big ideas about get the eight ball gonna sell it gonna sell it and then i'm gonna be like a big mad dealer and you know so then i some so i can't so some, you know, drug dealer took the moped off me, gave me this, like, eighth of heroin, and, uh, you know, I used it all, you know? <laughs> what else did low, you do with it? Yeah, I had no, I mean, I think, and I, I think I did try to sell some of it, but then, you know, I got, like, attacked, or I can't remember, the drugs got taken off me, I, I was on someone's patch, like, you know, I didn't, didn't really know what I was doing, you know? And, you know, I'm not, I'm not from inner city Dublin, you know, my dad worked in the civil service for 40 years, and we didn't have a lot of money but we weren't like we weren't like you know um we weren't on our arses like do you know what i mean and they did their best and stuff it was like the 80s in dublin but you know uh we we weren't we weren't poor or anything you know what i mean we and and so yeah so me kind of coming into these areas and thinking i'm mad trying to sell you know bags of heroin i was i was looking for trouble like you know that sort of way and i'm not you know not particularly streetwise or any of these sort of things and I just wanted to like get high but my dad was my dad was guarantor in that moped so I got a loan to get that moped I think I had some can't remember I've had so many jobs over the years but I had some kind of job and I think I got a loan but my dad was guarantor guarantor on the loan and like he fucked like he did not he did not let that go for so long like years and years and years he held on to this he'd have a few drinks like one time one time I was at home and I was high you know, pulling at my face, scratching my nose, about 12 o'clock at night, I was watching uh, Bugsy Malone, you know Bugsy Malone? You know, we could have been anything that we wanted to be, you know, like Jodie Foster's in there, like it's a gangster movie with kids playing as as the actors. And I'm just like, how is a kite watching Bugsy Malone, you know, midnight, and my dad came in after work, he'd gone to the pub, and he just came into the door and he saw me, looked at me on the couch, he looked at Bugsy Malone and he was like, Bugsy Malone! Bugsy fucking Malone! Where's my fucking money for the moped? Yeah, ballistic, like kicking over the fucking VHS player or whatever it was on. Like, 
And I was like, what's your, you know, I knew in my attitude, he's like, what's your problem, dad? Like, what's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> so much fucked up shit. Like, um, yeah, to this day when I see Bugsy Malone, I'm brought back to that. Like, my poor dad. A laugh or a sad? A laugh now. Like, a laugh now. We can laugh now because it's a long time, a long time ago. But my dad's, I mean, you know, my dad's, I mean, I love my dad, you know, like my dad, my dad's a big part of my recovery if it wasn't for him, do you know? Well, how, how did you get to your first meeting or did you end up rehab? Right, or? I mean, meetings, like, I was, meet, yeah, sure, like meetings were always around, like I always, I always heard of meetings when I was using. And, uh, did you go while you were still using? Yeah, yeah, I was, my introduction to NA was when I was. In totally in active addiction like I said I didn't get clean till I was till I was 23 but I went to my first NA meeting when I was 18 mm. I was brought through the door of this meeting and I was like what the fuck is this like Were people smoking inside still yeah smoking inside like yeah totally smoking inside like fucking fo- major foggy um yeah, uh, NA was just like, oh, it wasn't nowhere near stopping. Like, no, we got caught. Like, I think, I think the per the the like I said about the boy got me who introduced me. Uh, something happened with his parents, and his mom rang my mom, and my mom was like, "Are you using heroin? Let me see your arms!" Like this whole big whole blue came out, and we kind of got caught by our our moms and dads, and something happened. And then it was like, get over it. Then they were pulling it, finding all about, out about like NA meetings and all this kind of stuff and rehabs and, um. And yeah, but I was like I said, years away from stopping. So that was my first meeting. Did you end up in rehab? Yes, multiple rehabs. Like around, around. I, I first time I was in rehab again. I was around that age, like I'm now eighteen, and I left the rehab after two weeks, because it's in the area where I grew up, uh, the Rutland Centre in Dublin. God loved them. Um, I think I went there for first time I went there I went there for two weeks but it's where like it's literally my area where I grew up and I think I left the treatment centre went out to a pub got locked got drunk and then came back to the rehab and started telling people in my group what I really thought about them and stuff you you fucking sap like I was just like so abusive just drunk and then I got kicked out obviously and Oh, and then I did another stint in. I did another stint in a rehab when I was twenty one. I had my twenty first birthday. It was a rehab for young people, so I was touching the older scale. I was twenty one, and um, this was in Wexford, and I was pretty good. Like I did the whole time. Like each time I was kind of getting more into it, but I really thrived in rehabs. I loved like I was a bit, you know, one of those kind of liquors kind of rehab you know these people like yeah like make my bed clean up after myself make sure everyone's helping everyone doing everything but really i don't know i'm not really looking at myself or anything i don't know anyway a relapse started our rehab as well um i did a stint in a halfway house in cork for six months or three three months i can't remember a place called renewal which was great um and then i came back so i think after Going to the Rutland and then going to Renewal, I think I accumulated about six months of clean time. Mm-hmm. And then I went back to Dublin and then I had met a girl in that rehab who I fell in love with. And then that was like my beginning of my coming out. And But she went back to Dublin, I went back to Dublin. She relapsed on heroin and then I relapsed about two weeks later and then we were using together. And so I was also like painfully obsessed and in love and back with a heroin addiction again. I was wondering, because we have, I mean, we've talked about it on my side, but I think not on yours. I wasn't sure if you'd connected sexuality or sex with drugs. 
Or is it just more like love with drugs? Love with drugs, I think. Uh, Maybe I, not sexuality, but sex. Like sex, the, you never connect. You didn't need at one point dope to get off. No, sexually? no, no. I just never. No, like no libido at all. Mm. Um, mm. No, it was more. No, yeah, probably like a love thing. But like I, I felt definitely fell in love with this girl in this rehab and. Uh, that became an obsession but then we we both used to get her and then I did and then that went bad really really quickly so um, this was all around like March 21 years ago sort of thing uh, March February and we were kind of using we were robbing checks and forging checks from her parents and my parents she overdosed ended up in hospital um, and I was like I had no like I was talking about like kind of hustle and you know moving and shaking I was so the death the desperation was like really bad like I was just sort of sick all the time I couldn't get enough money I was on like social welfare payment which came out once a week which would be gone in about two days so like then I was I didn't have like whatever started happening to me I didn't have the balls like to even go into a chemist with a fake prescription or I just was terrified and kind of some sort of uh I don't know whatever was going on in my brain like some sort of weird psychosis or I, I started not being able to leave the house and I think my mom was going down to the doctors to get like dihydrocodeine and it just it, it was really really grim and really such a dark place and I kind of went back to that Rutland Centre in Dublin and they were like I was begging them to help me and then an amazing uh therapist I was seeing there actually got me back into Bowmount Hospital which is a, just a, de- a detox ward basically and I did um, like a three week methadone stint in there and um, and after that then I moved when I came out when I came the day I came out I turned my bedroom upside down trying to find leftover bits of heroin and the whole lot and but I failed and then but I was so frustrated and crying and I so I guess I was a day or two clean uh, but NA used to come in like the oh, hospital and institution meetings come in when I saw the NA meet, when I saw the NA crew coming into the hospital because like, I knew them all from trying to get clean and uh, when I like the shame and embarrassment they used to sit down at the back of the meeting and I was like oh these NA cunts coming in now giving it all that I couldn't even look them in the eye you know like uh, one of my really good friends actually um, used to come in and we're, we're still in touch uh, but something changed in, in that detox some, some sort of penny dropped in that hospital and I, I when I came out of there I was kind of just like okay I'm just going to give like this NA thing a go I'll just I'll just do what they say like night I'll go to 90 meetings in 90 days I'll get a sponsor I'll do I'll just literally do everything because I never I never of course I never used to do everything I'd just be you know pick and choose half meeting here and a bit of this and a bit of that and then I just threw myself into the suggestions and I threw myself into uh, I actually left Dublin and went to Cork and I I got clean in Cork. Um, I spent a. I lived in Cork for two years, and all my recovery was down in Cork. As et slept and shitted meetings, everyone I hung out with was in recovery service. Mm-hmm. Everything like just hell for letter, and and you know obviously you know it works, and you know things got better. You know, it was totally insane, like for that whole time in early recovery, as we know, like 
especially with hindsight, I love look. You know, <laughs> you are in early recovery, like fuck, going into meetings. I just like, I'm feeling like, I'm just like, you know, feeling so much. It's just like, I love life. I love life. I love being clean. You know, all this sort of shit. Like, <laughs> and then so you can see your old timers kind of looking at you, going, "I'll give her a few more months before I even have a coffee." And um, you know, this is mad, uh, kind of awakening. You know, like it is a bit of an awakening. You know, like and there's you know plenty of them, and just, I'm still having you know, spiritual awakenings throughout my whole journey. Because um, then you bounced to New York. Eventually. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I think I was about two and a half years clean and I was like, I'm living a life beyond my wildest dreams. I'm going to America. So yeah, I went, went there with a girl, actually, who I was in love with. Um, so yeah, my sexuality journey is kind of going hand in hand with my recovery story, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, yeah, this girl, like, fucking... Yeah, it was a girl that I met in Cork who I was like t- totally obsessed with. It was like not the girl I met in rehab. That was kind of ended and I started seeing this other girl and, uh, you know, real femme. A real like soft mm-hmm. spot for femmes. Mm-hmm. And um, so this this girl was like total high femme, like absolute babe. And yeah, kind of just wrapped me around her little finger. She wasn't really... She wasn't really gay or anything. And she was like, yo, I'm not, a, I'm not a lesbian. And I was like, yeah, either am I. Like, I'm like totally bi. It's cool. Like, <laughs> just went with this for a while. Like, again, you know, not really being true to myself. I'm just obsessed with her. And then we, 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 we said we'd go to um, America. In Ireland, you can do this, like, J1 visa. You can live and work there for up to six months. So I went there with her. And uh, the minute we touched down in JFK and we met her childhood friend, she pretended that, like, I was a nobody like that we weren't together that was you know and uh, I think we where did we stay you know, where do all the Irish people stay in New York Brody what's that place called again <sighs> in the city or in Brooklyn uh, it's um, I was going I want to say Kilburn but that's in London um, yeah it's in I feel like it might be some Brooklyn somewhere hmm. I can't remember it but if, we, remember if we google we'll it, look it's, for it it's totally famous if any of your American listeners are listening they probably know straight away Anyway, that place. Um, and yeah, and we went out, you know, I'm two and a half years clean and we're going to the club, you know, like Ooh. somewhere in Brooklyn. And I was just like, and they're Irish, so they're pounding drinks. Everyone's shit-faced. I'm scared. Uh, I'm also getting ignored completely, like I'm a nobody. Um, she was kind of getting sick and I was like, oh, let me help you with your hair. She's like, don't touch me, don't touch me. And I was like, what the fuck? So like I just couldn't cope with these feelings and all I knew was like I think I had one phone number um, and you know this is pre uh, smartphones pre all of that kind of shit and uh, uh, someone gave me like a, um, a name number? no I had a number to a friend and then I had a name of a hostel on a piece of paper. And I, I had to, like to call anyone. I had to use, you know, the phone with the dimes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like even if I want to call Ireland, like it was real bad. So basically, what I decided after that kind of landing there, being ignored, being brought to this club, being ignored, made feel a certain way. I was like, I'm leaving. This is what two thousand two or something. This is two thousand and three, I think. Because yeah, this would be two thousand and three, I reckon. Um, I think I, I think I was in New York two. Um, maybe 2002 to 2003 or 2003 to 2004 something like this 
So anyway, I left. I stayed one night with them and I left and I was off. And I found this, I was off walking around Manhattan with like, in, you know, 30 degree heat, backpack on, no clue where I'm going. Every single reference I'm looking at is like from a movie in, a, you know, from mm-hmm. every movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Everyone's shouting and roaring, you move the fucking beep beep. Like it's literally like that, hectic. And I was like, Jesus Christ, you know, all the, bu- <laughs> all the buildings are real tall. And I'm like just Paddy Mac Irish walking around hadn't a fucking clue and I I, I, I I was walking like I walked down to the I was walked downtown I was walking to the lower lower west side or lower east side and to this Dreamtime hospital hostel whatever it was called eventually got into this hostel got in there and then um, I got stayed there for like a week in this hostel and it's like a little metal bed I was terrified and uh, then I hit up meetings I was hitting up meetings left right and centre but my main goal was try and find somewhere to live and try and get a job so I was like walking the streets like trying looking at apartments man some of the apartments in New York get the fuck out of here like I mean some of the I mean I don't know what we're talking that what is that period 2003 but like you know somebody their whole apartment was the size of your tiny kitchen here like five meters by five or whatever mm-hmm. and the room then was like curtained off and you know and then the, the bedroom was like my side and her side with a piece of sheet in between it and you know she's looking for like $900 like you know it's probably probably now it's probably about 2k I don't know and I was like what and then and then she goes to me and I I was never familiar with this term it was the first time I ever heard this term right so we're going back you know I'm only two and a half years clean I'm pure Irish from Dublin did all my using in Dublin and she turns to me and goes do you like to party and I was like do I like to party like going out to clubs like what does she mean and I was like, I was, I think I went, I was like, what, like going to a club, and she's like, you know, party, get high, and I was like, no, <laughs> like, <laughs> we have to understand, you know, two and a half years clean, like it was wild. I was barely, I was barely coping, you know, like, but kept, I had the massive urge to like somehow succeed in New York and like get settled and do out my do out like my, my time there. I didn't want to go home or like turn around or anything. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I got taken in uh, by an Irish woman. From recovery? No, just like an old Irish woman who just was very kind. Um, she wanted a long-term lodger, and I obviously wasn't. I was like, I didn't know when I was going to uh, leave, but like it wasn't long-term. But she let me in because I'd know where a place to stay. And then she had another Irish friend who worked in a restaurant who hooked me up with a job. Like, Amazing. Waiting tables. like so. Where? Uh it was a place called the Beam of Bar and Grill. It was on 8th Avenue. It's closed down now because I Googled that there a few years years ago. And then from there, the waitress, the manager of the restaurant was this, um, I guess, bisexual woman, Australian woman. But we totally started hooking up. But she t- actually totally fell in love with me. But I needed friends, so I kind of went with it. Um, but of course, I still wasn't like a lesbian or a dyke. I hadn't, you know, none of this made any sense. I guess I was buy on some some level and uh um so yeah she her best friend was this gay spanish guy who worked in the diamond district and so what i had been studying photography in ireland when i first got clean and they were looking so this diamond company were looking for a photographer and so she hooked me up with an interview with them so then i got a job as a diamond photographer working on the diamond uh, district yeah have you seen uncut gems i have that is to a t the madness of the diamond district it's very accurate i could only imagine it's wild when i was there some russian guy got shot on 48th street i came home from work and it was all all over the news but this is so i was that that was my job then 
when I was in when I was in New York. But yeah, I used to go. Uh, I was hitting up meetings left, right, and centre. But again, I was very naive, Brody. Where were you going? Were you going to, if you're on 48, did you go to the Rainbow Room? I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I had my little booklet and I was just going to meetings anywhere. But I did go to a meeting. I remember I wanted to go to a gay meeting. This was a top of my priority list. I need to go to a gay meeting. So then I went to a meeting down in, in the West Village, I want to say, somewhere down there, and it was a gay meeting. But I was the only white person in the meeting. And I was like, and I'm really naive. And I was like, why are there, I was like, why are why am like why am I the only white person in this meeting? If I walked in on the, you know a special meeting, I shouldn't be here. Like, what's going on? But like, <laughs> and like you know, I'm probably a bit louder now. But back then, I was more timid. I was afraid to speak. I was still finding my way. So it was, and my nerves now. And even to be honest with you, twenty one years clean and sober, I still get nervous when I share meetings. I still get jittery. I, all of that stuff. But back then, I, it was real hard. But I had this drive in me that was like, no matter what, you have to share in every meeting because you need to get clean and stay clean. And this is what you need to do to stay clean. So I was in this meeting feeling like pretty... When I went in, everyone was super sweet, very welcoming. And I was like, oh, it must be chill. Like, I must be... It just must be the way it is today. And uh, so I was like, you know, people were sharing and the shares were like amazing and really passionate and stuff like, and uh, I was like, so I was like, oh, like I better share. And I was like, oh, hey everyone. <laughs> so I was like, hey everyone, I'm Julian. And I'm like, speak up, honey, we can't hear you. And I was like, I'm Julian, I'm an addict. And uh, you know, this kind of thing. And then, yeah, I was like, that's a real crystal clear memory from the, from from back then. But then, yeah, I found that I eventually was living in Astoria, so I just kind of had a home group in Astoria, which is actually a kind of Greek, tra- traditionally Greek area. But I had a home group there, and then I hung around with a bunch of guys who were into Harley Davidsons, and we used to go up to Montauk and the Harleys, and I used to go to their. There was kind of like a Harley. I guess in New York, it's a little bit more d- divisive, or Mary, you know, they they they. they you know, they're pre- pretty much what there was a group of people who just drove Harley Davidson's, you know, they all used to go to this one meeting and stuff. And then I used to tag along with them because, of course, they were all, in inverted commas, Irish. And I was Irish. But, you know, so, it was, you know, we were all this kind of Irish. I don't, <laughs> it was just kind of, I don't, I was just kind of just, do, you know, it was just like an, a, like an adventure. We went to, there was a convention in Manhattan. We drove down on the Hardys then. I think that's, I think I told you this before. Like, this is I, where I kind of start to know more. This is like the trajectory of what, yeah. Yeah, we've talked about, because you and your motorbike and then me talking about <laughs> Hardys and stuff. And, um, yeah, and yeah, that was, that was, uh, loved, loved my New York experience. I loved the means. I loved the, and a lot of those Harley Davidson guys actually, um, are dead and died and relapsed. And yeah, yeah one guy was high and he fucking told his Harley and himself. And <laughs> a few mad stories came out of that as well. But the girl I shared a room with, like, um, in Astoria, uh, this is when I moved away from the Irish woman. I was out on my own now in Astoria. And sharing a room? Actually, yeah, just one room? N- no, sharing like a two-bed apartment Ooh. with someone else in recovery. This, and who had gotten... She, there was She was from Texas, and, and she's still clean and sober to this day. We're friends on Instagram, and she has a baby. Because I know I'm kind of saying stories where everyone's dead, but actually, you know, we do recover. The message is we do recover. Of course we recover. And, you know, so we're still friends and she had a baby and got married and all that kind of stuff. And um, But she got clean so young. She got clean when she was 15 and she used to go to a special meeting in Texas for, it was like just, it was NA meeting just for young people. 
which is being, so all these kind of meet spe, kind of specialized groups you know whether it was this one in the west village or the harley davidson one or you know you know greeks only or they, they were they definitely felt like everyone kind of found their people which was very like uh to me that that to me that was really surprising i was really surprised by that how are these so many groups but of course the fellowship is way older and way bigger than what's happening what was happening in dublin or what was happening in cork even you know but everyone just went to the same meetings because mm. the fellowship was small but the fellowship was so vast and wide, wide and spiraling in america you had you could have all these little kind of specialized you know groups or similar interest groups and stuff which i thought like was pretty cool and then you came directly here from new mm-hmm. york after New York, after getting kicked out of New York, um, I overstayed a visa and such. Um, I'm, I'm actually barred from America for life. I don't know if I've ever told you that I before. do know that. It's... Yeah. And, um, is that fixable? I don't know. Probably with money and a lawyer it is. Because uh, uh, you stayed like a couple of years. Yeah, I just na- naively stayed over my visa because my boss at, in the diamond company was like, oh, baby, you can just say that you came in on this date and you left on this date because I was getting a, a year and a half visa. And I was like, okay, cool, I'll do, I'll do that. Like, and just did that. And but and I actually only found out when I was in Berlin a few years ago that that equates to immigration fraud, and which equates to a lifetime ban. Definitely, is there paperwork that says that? For you? I think you can get a waiver. Yeah. When when she when you say you can get a waiver, I feel like if you lawyer up and have a lot of money to spend, it's fixable. I think. Mm. So that's why the band never toured there. Yeah, yeah, not because we got an offer to p- play in New York and do the studio time in New York, and that's when I started to investigate exactly what my situation that must was. Be gutting. I mean. I guess you you spent time there. Yeah, like I mean. Don't get me wrong. I love America, and you know I, you know I'll play it down. Like people will say to me, and I was like, I'll be like, ah, fuck America anyway. It's all crazy. Republicans, Trump, blah blah blah. You know, I always like ha- I have a mantra that I tell myself about America. But you know, my best friend lives there, and I actually love America, and it's the most fascinating country, like one of the most fascinating countries I ever spent time in. And when I had to leave America, it was like, you know, it was earth shatteringly sad i was yeah. so distraught i think i was depressed for fucking you know two years after the fact but you know everything happens for a reason right like definitely a true believer of everything happens for a reason yeah um so what did you do in between there and here so then i went back and finished my degree in newport in wales um i had done two years in in ireland and uh i went so it was like a so did kind of a what was that course I did. but the course I did in Ireland equated to doing the two-year course I did in Ireland equated to doing one full year in a uh, university in the UK so then uh, so then I had two years left to get my degree in documentary photography which I did in Newport so then I was off to Wales for a couple of years and that was fun like I was re- like so Newport's a really kind of small kind of working class town I think you know um Probably, probably an old mining town like a lot of the Welsh towns. Is it on the water? It's no, it's oh, no, it's it's sort of north of Wales. It's on the border. It's close to Bristol, actually, in the in England. It's kind of on. It's not on the water, and no, it's not. It's not the most prettiest of um places. It's a bit mad, you know. Um. Uh, 
Yeah, but it was really fun. Like, university life was fun. You know, and I wanted to, like... So, you know, these... Like, you know, I never thought I'd go to university. So, like, oh, this is, must be what university life is. You know, and then there's loads of gays there. Like, and there's a lesbian couple in my class. I'm like, what? Like, you know, I'm trying to be cool. But, like, you kind of, you know, taking it all in. Um, it Not many... There's not many... There was no meetings in Newport. We started a meeting in Newport. Like, an NA meeting. I think there was AA. But I was, like, staunch NA at the time. Never go to AA. You know, that's, that's where my head was. No, NA all the way. Fuck AA. You know, that's where I was back then. And we started our own little NA meeting in, in Newport. And I think there was meetings in Cardiff. And um, uh, I lived with someone in recovery as well. That was really cool. Helpful. Yeah. And so there, there was a few recovery heads around, which was really cool. And then you came here? Then I went to London. Oh, yeah, of course. Then, then which I was, is how you know. Yeah. Aaron, yeah, yeah, um, went to London then for two years, and uh, what was I doing? What was I doing in London? I was working in photography studios. Um, yeah, Dennis got me Dennis because I studied with ah, Dennis. Ah, yeah, that's how yeah. Dennis comes in. The yeah, picture. I studied with him in Newport, and um, he was working in these uh, uh spring studios in Kentish Town, and he got me a job there. So yeah, then I was just like working and kind of doing the London thing and then kind of really coming into my own, like in, um, then I was, you know, becoming more of a, I wouldn't say dyke, I would say, I don't think I became a dyke till I moved to Berlin, but I was definitely, sounds about right. I was definitely a lesbian, we can say in London, um, kind of <laughs> going to all the clubs, doing all the thing, attending Pride, making loads of lesbian friends, having a girlfriend, had a great time in London and uh, then I don't know, I had the urge again to move on. Like I did a few weekends in Berlin on holidays and such and I was like seeing this girl and um, I wanted to break up with her but I didn't know how and then I just said I want to move to Berlin and just like put on my own because she wanted to come and I was like no it's something I need to do for myself and uh, yeah and then... Yeah, then I landed in Berlin, like, I guess, like, that was 2008. And then... You started playing music? Well, how, um, how were meetings here, then? Did you bother in the beginning? Yeah, no, no, I used to... Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I was going to NA again. Um, the one on uh, Urbanerstrasse, Urbanerstrasse, yeah. that uh, meeting. The one upstairs? Yeah. Um, on Thursdays? And the one on the Thursday one in Kreuzberg. And the one in, the one in Mitte as well. You know, there's an Al-Anon one beside it. There's like an NA meeting in, uh, uh, oh yeah. what's the name of the street? You in know, the, the centre and they have a bunch of stuff going on. Yeah. I can't, can't think of the, yeah. Um, yeah, meetings, meetings, meetings. But yeah, definitely, I de- definitely d- don't go to meetings the way I used to go to meetings for sure. And my co- recovery has changed and. Well, you really hit therapy super hard in that yeah. time where I moved here and we became roommates out yeah. of the blue yeah. out of a situation that was not so mm. happy on your end but fortuitous on my end all of a sudden mm. you needed a roommate yeah technically yeah and I realized upon meeting you that you were also in the same couple of years of sobriety yeah queer and friends of my friends and it was yeah. like ah I arrived yeah that was awesome and then you got a little dog that we thought was never going to get very big. Yeah. It still isn't very big, but yeah. we thought it was going to stay real mm-hmm. small, micro. Yeah. 
Good times. It was, and it's now a long time ago. Yeah. Lots of things have happened since. But I mean, a big thing I was thinking about this morning, I was like, I wonder what we're going to chat about. And I was, because I think recovery and therapy is a very interesting topic. Because you've been engaging with this person since I met you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, we're, 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 I've taken a break from therapy now. Um, just going to see how that goes. Um, but yeah, like for me, it was a crucial part of my development and recovery. And I, I feel, and this is just for me, like I, I feel like I dealt with stuff that perhaps I wouldn't have been able to deal with, um, mm. in the rooms and yeah. And, uh, I don't know. It just, it just works. Um, became a real, uh, lifeline and crutch and, you know, we're people who love, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like rigidity, structure. Rigidity, structure, routine. Yeah, ritual. And so, ritual. Yeah. So that this was my, you know, this was my thing that I did every single Monday without fail. Yeah. And, um. And that replaced, that was right where you were kind of like starting to have less interest in being committed to going to meetings. And sponsoring for that matter as well, really. Yeah. Yeah. I would say... Yeah, I just, I needed to do something for myself, actually, that I don't think I had ever done in, yeah. in recovery. That I think one-on-one thing. Yeah, like I did, like, I did a lot of service. I did, did that, like, you know you, what I mean? You did a, a decade of, like, yeah. commi- commitment. Absolutely, and, um, I don't know, there was, something was not right with me. Like, there was something that was not right, and, um... And I, I, I don't even know if I can pinpoint it, like, but, and I, I don't even know if, if I, even in hindsight, if I even had the tools to, what would I have done? Who would I have gone to in recovery or, I mean, and something that I really hold on to in the literature is that, you know, we go to meetings and stuff like that, but, you know, the, it's a bridge back to normal living, a bridge back to normal living. And I really hung on to that phrase. and. Mm, mm. What about spon- being sponsored? When's the last time you had a sponsor? Or do you the still... last time I had a sponsor was... In person, for that matter. Uh, like what city were you living in? Probably in person. I mean, I, my sponsor... I mean, in a city. Like, Jesus. Uh, I had a sponsor in New York. I had a sponsor in London. Oh, yeah. Did I have a sponsor in Berlin? And then in Berlin, I was using uh, my sponsor was Dublin based when we had phone calls and stuff. But yeah, probably in an actual city where I was in the city, probably would be London. Did you notice a big difference? That's something that for myself, I had, re- I had such a hard time letting go of my first sponsor when I, the the sponsor, the person that I finally committed to doing step work with, the person that I was working with in New York. And I, a couple of years, I was, like, hanging on to them as, like, a crutch. Yeah, yeah. Um, From afar, from here. Yeah. And it was really positive to take on a sponsor in person. I think that that might have equated to my therapist. I think so. Yeah. Because remember, you would always I say never... that you were so wrecked in, when I first met you, and I guess I didn't know you well enough, but, like, sure, you'd be sitting in, in the kitchen having a ciggy, but, like, that didn't seem unusual to me that someone had had a relationship crisis you know but yeah did were you you were pretty low then so broken so broken 
And that relationship came around again, which is... Yeah, like... That's like living in recovery. Totally, like, I've, like I had a crisis. I think that, like, relationship, who's now, that person's now my wife. But in that, in that period, so we're talking about 2013, I had, I, 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 I think I really went off the rails, like, in recovery. And whether, like, I don't know, like, what, what kind of program I was working. Like, I was going to the odd meeting, but, like meditation wasn't a big part of my life That's like what I want to talk about cause I know it is yeah um uh self-reflection a uh, self-awareness I, I, what I gained in therapy was this massive amount of self-awareness and really going into the past and really going into um like I never I don't know like I, I mean uh did I ever did I ever ha- find the sponsor who, who was able to put me into shape like I don't know like I, it's kind of up to us right yeah I would say yeah but some guidance, like we were talking about. Yeah. The, a heavier-handed approach before talking officially yeah. here, or like a light. Yeah. Kind of like, just do your thing, and I'll, I'll be here, yeah. you know? But like, there's the don't get walked all, all over approach. There's like... Yeah, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, like, NA, like, NA in the rooms and the 12-step program, like, saved my life. Like, that's a fact, and, and it works. Yeah, um, definitely. But for me, there has been... A stepping away from fellowship to a certain extent. Did you do the? We, I'm, I'm positive we talked about it, and you're going to say yes. But did you do the NA workbook? Yes. Yeah, I, it was like Greek. Yeah, it might as well have been another language when yeah. I when I was committing yeah. to writing it. Yeah, true. Like I often, this is the thing, Brody. Right? This is what I think as well. Like, if if I wonder, like, if, you know, we do these workbooks and we do all this stuff, like, in early recovery and we're pretty fucking crazy. And we're coming, <laughs> you know, we're coming off drugs. We're kind of just dealing with frontline stuff. And, you know, perhaps if I have, if I had, you know, an experienced sponsor who's like, okay, we need to, like, this is where you need to be now. We need to go back to the fourth step. And then we're going to do a fifth step again. And you may, maybe get into the this mm family stuff that I was that I worked through with a therapist like you know you know of course that is true for like loads of people you know but this is just this has just been my journey in and I guess like what what has worked for me um Mm. in terms of my recovery and stuff and I mean what's the most important step step one yeah yeah don't fucking use no matter what you know no no matter what like this is what I was saying to this when I had this call with this person who's just 10 months sober I was like no matter what's going on because she was talking about steps and then you know I did one to, you know the way you always do one to three in treatment <laughs> we have many one to trees that we've done but like I was like that's cool that you've done one to three but like you know because she's looking around for a sponsor she's looking around for a sponsor and uh and I was going you know I was just telling her like take your time listen to people I said the only thing you fucking need to worry about now is not drinking everything else will fall into place you know li- you know you don't ha- you, you don't have to share it you know you could, as you share in meetings, listen just as equally. Listen to what people have to say. See if you connect with someone. You know, preferably they have a bit of clean time behind them and they have a, a good working knowledge of the steps. But um, mm. if 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 I was sponsoring you, you'd be on the first step for the next two years. Like you know, and that's like that's why I said to her. Did you? Yeah. Of course you did. Yeah. <laughs> but you've also grown up with this person. Yeah. Or I mean, your best friends with this person's sister. Yeah, like yeah, her her yeah, her sister's is my best friend. But uh, I don't know. I think we underestimate you know denial in 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 recovery a little bit, like and how yeah. how deep it can run, and not just with drugs, but with everything else, with behaviors and stuff. And 
I would say that I was there, you know, in swimming in denial in with 10 years under my belt, you know, I was fucking crazy, angry, upset. Like I didn't know what was going on. I didn't have the tools to talk about it. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> swimming in denial like yeah. it's the river yeah. in Egypt. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So music, how, I mean, you're just a music head. Yeah, weirdly though, in the pandemic, uh, I've also gone very much so in the podcast direction. Um, yeah. uh, but a m- music maker. Yeah, for sure. And uh, actually, it's only in the last uh, couple of weeks that that creative spark has come back. I'm actually taking a writing course at the moment. I do it every wonderful writing course. I do it every Thursday. Uh, non-fiction and essay writing, memoir writing. Um, so that's been really good. That'll and, be a good memoir. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, it's something that's also, I'm a really, I'm the best procrastinator of all time. Like, I just love procrastinating. And I've been ro- trying, thinking of writing a memoir since, I don't know, 2015, maybe. Um, and so now, uh, uh, and, you know, the pandemic brought in a lot, you know, and everybody went through a pretty similar experience and felt, you know, you know particularly last winter, it was pretty doom and gloom. And I create musically, I was very not creative and I just wasn't creative at all in the last two years, I'd say. It's just kind of like trying to get through the pandemic and trying to just, and then, you know, gain some acceptance around. It's okay not to be productive. It's okay not to want to do this, this, this and this. You know, this drive. So yeah. The drive is unreal. So, slow down. Yeah, man. And just the med- med- really meditated on, on that and go, this is where I'm at. And I'm also older as well, right? Like, so having acceptance that, you know, I'm not going to be a pop star with a top 10 hit, you know? Well, you went into the working world in the last, how, how long have you been not structuring your kind of security the way you, the way that you always had? Yeah. Like, honestly, dude, game changer. Another game changer for yeah. me was getting on that nine to five grind it, but you were on a gnarlier grind that you were you, didn't you have to get up like stupid early and go super yeah far? like so basically to read like you know i had hepatitis c as a consequence of my using for a very long time in recovery and you know you probably know yourself um from friends and stuff like the old school treatment for hepatitis c was you know a bunch of tablets and a weekly injection that you had to take you know for up to a year that only had a 40% success rate that could make your hair fall out, your teeth fall out. But the big one for me is that it caused lethargy and depression. And I just did not want to touch this treatment. I know, you know, you know me, I'm, I'm pretty physically healthy. I, you know, exercise, you know. I, you became I'm, a runner. I'm a ru- I've always been a runner. Oh, you just e- got back onto it. I've always been a runner. Even when I was using drugs, I was a fucking runner. I, I ran a, I ran a race high as a kite. Uh, on St. Patrick's Day with my father, like a load of heroin, load of benzos. I was running around Dublin City, chatting to everyone, having a great, having a great time. Um, and, you know, I was a bike courier as well in my active addiction as well, like cycling around Dublin high as a kite, delivering packages. Um, so yeah, exercise. You know, some of the things me and you share, like things that are crucial for me and my my. A healthy program is regular exercise, regular meditation, uh, regular self reflection, i.e., step ten, um, and now uh, podcast like engaging in information that's kind yeah of yeah coming I, in a like yeah. clearer. I'm a Tara Ta- Tara Brack fan. I know you don't you don't love her, but I, I, I love her. I'm just a, I'm a little scared. There's just too much Tara Brack out there. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Jack Hornfield is another one yeah, that I love. Like definitely. A, um, uh, Rumi is a wonderful uh, poet, and um, and you know, and you know, we talked about Catholicism. And, you know, one of the things we grew up with 
you know, as children in school was, um, you know, treat everyone the way you'd want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Remember that? I do. Like that is... It's a pretty golden rule. It's so, ba- you know, it's so simple and basic. It's like, yeah, you know... Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Nine to fiver? Yes. So anyway, I had hepatitis C, but I was, it didn't affect me physically. I wasn't affected by it, but I, de- I, I had it. And it caused me some issues in Germany. With, um, I had to get an operation once, and because I had hepatitis C, I had to do it in a hospital instead of a clinic. I, had, I kind of had a lot of shame around how they kind of treated me with that. Mm. Um, and it was just like the one last thing that was just constant reminder of my use. And, and I wanted, but I also didn't want to take this hardcore kind of shitty treatment that kind of didn't work. You know, the antivirals, uh, stuff that they had like I'd be, oh, I forget the name but now I used to be able to rattle them all off it was like um, interferon that's it the famous interferon yeah so then I was like no I'm just gonna wait and see what happens and I'm sure they're gonna come out with something better like in a few years so I and waited they did. yeah and then they did fucking right they did they brought out this drug um, and it, all it was was one tablet in the morning time and had zero side effects you only had to take it for 12 weeks and I had, with my genotype, it had a 95% success rate. So I was like, sign me up. But my whole time in Berlin, I was living under the radar. <laughs> I had no ML done. I didn't have a, <laughs> I didn't have a job. Um, like, you know, I was, you know, I wasn't really a fully grown up citizen in Germany yet. Um, I mean, that's a thing. It's such a thing. But also, it, it this was also getting me down as the years yep. were rolling on. And, I remember this. Yeah, and... Just wasn't sitting right. The it's a whole, heavy cloud. Yeah, the whole wheel and dealing of you know the way we are as addicts, like oh you know trying to get one over, one up, and that all of that way of life just was not working for me anymore. You know, like um, it just wasn't working for me. Like, and then I was thinking about things I never thought about before, like security in the future and pensions and what it's going to be like when I'm old. And my whole thinking of of how I lived in the world was changing. And um, so anyway, this drug. Uh, you know when new drugs come out they're very expensive like this was at the time the drug was 300,000 euro or dollar I don't know it's come, it's come down considerably now but you know I think it's it's the United States that set the price of these drugs like these ridiculous prices so every country in Europe was dealing with things differently and in Ireland I wasn't even um eligible they were, in Ireland Ireland was only given it to people who had cirrhosis of the liver who were mm. really badly off cause, because it was so expensive mm. but lovely Germany amazing as it is everybody who had hepatitis C no matter what kind of hepatitis C you had was entitled to get this drug in Germany and of course if you're part of the German healthcare system you're paying 10 euro for your prescription so I was like okay I need to get a job was my next thought so I think I don't know I think it was around 2017 to 2000 I think 2017's New Year's resolution was going to get a job going to get on the health insurance going to get rid of the hepatitis C those three things so yeah they're had this, big all those are pretty yeah. big yeah, so I went and got a, got a job, you know, and our Berlin was coming on as well. There was, you know, all of a sudden there was a lot of startups. There was a lot of English speaking jobs. There was a lot of opportunities happening. That's true. And I kept, you know, and, and I kept going, oh, but how am I going to explain that like 10 year gap in my fucking CV? Is this, you know, but the job I applied for, they weren't really too concerned about that. I was a Facebook moderator. And yeah, it was crazy hours at the start. It was like, depending on what shift you're on, if you're on an early shift or an overnight shift, but I started that job and I got on health insurance straight away. And once I got it, I went down to the doctor and he signed, I had to do a couple of tests, check the hardness, the fiber hardness of my liver and did all that. And then once that was that, 
uh, I had a prescription and I think I was a couple of weeks into that Facebook job and I was on that medication and uh, the 12 weeks passed and I was hepatitis free and actually I, I got a, a check up there of um, I think about a year ago and he he checked it, like it's still it's still all, all good it's gone like and so that was great such a it was such a relief and not a relief it just it to, like I said it wasn't a health issue it was more it just made me think of my using a lot it didn't it didn't feel good like there was shame attached to it like and you know like um, yeah because it's not communicable yeah well like, i mean it's not sexually communicable yeah but it's spread through you know blood or razors and you've got to be careful you know two brushes and just everything really like yeah. you know it's gotta be careful and um but yeah the you know i got a, a wonderful sense of purpose by being in a nine-to-five job and i left facebook and then i um i went for a different job uh at a music copyright um, company so uh, but you're still killing it. Yeah, 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 I'm a manager over there now, so that feels really good. I even tattooed someone from your bit from your shop. Yeah, yeah, that who, coincidentally an Irish person. Yeah, and who happens to be a total legend. Um, of course, they were singing your praises. I was singing your praises. So. Oh, so yeah, it's the 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 I can't you know, and then we, we, like you know, and I often reflect on this, and I think back, you know, I do think back to like you know, NA and AA is is kind of founded in these Buddhist principles, you know. Uh, and, and, and a big Buddhist principle is having a purpose to your day like no matter what your job is no matter what you do to wake up in the morning and have whether your job is like sweeping the road or feeding the cattle or going into the office there, there's a massive um, there's a massive sense of uh, well-being when we have a purpose to our day and I found that to be overwhelmingly true for myself it brought me so much um, it just felt really good to have a purpose to my day in this way you know and kind of contribute to society and pay taxes and do all of these norm core things that I mean, it took a very but everyone's recovery journey is different right like some people get a job on their second day of clean time and then they stick with it and my you know my my journey in that way was different and also i'm, I'm getting old now like you know like i'm 44 you know and i do have to think about old age and the future and pensions and stuff like this but it's very enjoyable you know and i you know and i'm lucky that i'm lucky that i have i have had like a good few wild years in berlin you know what i mean and i dude every time it was gigan i would if when and if i would find myself a gig and i'd know i'd be able to catch you at four thirty a.m on the white couch on the white couch yeah those days are over. <laughs> and that's something I wanted to talk about too. So yeah. I want to talk about higher power and the fact that like you, you definitely like just said, fuck it to being out. Cause it's mm. like, you, I'd rock up at this at geeking and it'd be you and me. Yeah. The only sober, obviously. Yeah. Larry T might make an appearance. That's true. Larry yeah. would be there. You know, but it's, it's really quite something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're lucky on some level we are kind of with, I mean, Gegan's a pretty okay party in yes, terms it's not of ridiculous. in terms of drug use, but then if you look at something like Cocktail de More or of course the infamous Burghain, you kind of you're kind of looking at yeah it got you know and of course there's a GHB phenomenon as well and it's sort of like oh, this is yeah I mean Gegan can it, Gegan was like you know sex positive queer 
queer party that had a lot of really kind of wholesome positive things to it that I felt like people were like having fun there having fun right like and it felt pretty as well as it is it definitely felt wholesome and definitely felt something that I, I felt I wanted to be part of and explore uh, you always run into your friends no matter what yeah you see your friends and you know and a lot of our friends you know you know of course some of them are recreational drug users but like really in the grand scheme of things they're they're pretty lightweight in their drug use sake say compared to what me and you might get up to um which and of course which is normal and they're entitled to and every you know people can do what they want um yeah and then yeah i don't know like just i think before the pandemic i was really just kind of over it like just i i think i had done the exploring of my sex as much as i don't know how much more of my sexuality i needed to explore or what i needed to experience but my main my main reasons for kind of going to clubs would be um if i was supporting a friend who was djing it's always fun you don't have to pay in you're on a guest list that's all nice i'm not queuing up for nothing like not at this age like not queuing, not doing a four-hour queue outside burkheim like no fucking way so all those things it's easy for me to do that and to support and i can go and i can leave but even then as time was rolling on i my toler my tolerance for just being there at all kind of just started to dwindle more and more and um yeah i don't know the interest wasn't there so the the, the it was was it ever holistic like because you would have been there for a dance you would have been there to maybe meet yeah maybe meet me and jane are hooking up with someone yeah. or something that played a huge like titillation played a huge part in it for yeah. me cause, fuck yeah because i'm not drinking i'm not taking drugs I, I'm, I'm i'm looking for entertainment i want to be excited by something right i want to have some fun and that was like my way of having fun and it's my main reason for being there for sure i'm yeah. not really there sure I, mean, I can have i can have a dance it's grand i can see some friends that's cool but like i don't need to see them every single week week in week out that kind of thing and um yeah i don't know and then yeah it just oh i uh, just wasn't an interest for me anymore and and yeah, and then I was getting people asking me, oh, are you going to go to this party or that party? And I was just like, they're, I just kept saying, no, really, I'm not going. Or I'd reluctantly go, I might get persuaded to go, and then I'd be there. I was like, why am I here? Like, I'm so miserable. And then they stopped calling? Um, No, well, Jane still got the invites, but they just kind of knew that I'm probably not going to go out. And my friends are, like, everyone knows I'm in recovery. Everyone knows my story. Like, so no one's giving me a hard time about it or anything. It's just, it is what it is. Um, you did look like you're having a, enough fun to be there. Yeah. You know, or like you know, I don't know. I, mm, as an outsider looking yeah. in, um, but it gets to a point where it's just not worth it anymore. It's not worth staying up that late. Yeah. For me, it's not in particular not worth being around that much smoking. Like yeah. Indoor smoking like Gross. just fucking kills me. Yeah. And I yeah. just become a bit of a, I just I feel myself being a complainer. Yeah, and like yeah, and, and then, a comparer, you know, and yeah. it's like, come on, then I just show, this is not my place anymore. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. The two of you took me to go to cocktail. I'd never even been there. Yeah. And when it moved to this new place over here, yeah, kind of moved on the river. Mm, Grismula. Yeah. Yeah. And 
Do you remember trying to get me to dance? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if, but you were going through some stuff at the time as well, right? Probably, I mean, I, I, wouldn't, I can't remember, but yeah. I yeah. mean, if, I guess it would have... Like, like uh, in the, if I remember correctly, in the physical body and how you were feeling about... Ah, uh, gender and things. Yeah. Oh, gender, that yeah, whole, yeah, whole yeah. thing. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that you know what? Honestly, not that that... I mean, that's helped in every conceivable way, but I still am not going to cut a rug. Yeah. But uh, I'll fucking slow dance. Yeah, you, you all like I was like getting grinded from both sides by yeah. you, and I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like enjoying myself. But I'm, I'm, I'm a voyeur. Like those spaces, yeah. any, any, and all of those like spaces that we have here in particular. Yeah, just uh, that, that, that titillates a, a neurological thing for me. Like, the you know, as we as Buddhist Buddhism talks about the six sense doors, that f- primarily titillates the sense door of vision for me. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. just um, and also like uh, very much in a gender way, how I do like being around people who are embodied. You know, it's really um, you know sort of like almost by osmosis, I can feel people's, in particular cisgender. You know, like mm-hmm. how that's not something I experience. So like being around people who are really embodied and they're like. They're cutting a rug and having fun. Like I'm, I'm the, I guess I was, I've always been a wallflower. You know, it's yeah, just like yeah, the, yeah. the nature. Yeah. I mean, like being on stage and playing music as a kid was like the one of the most difficult things ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and when I moved here, you guys were still really kind of pushing and playing. Out, and you recently did play though. You played. Yeah. And I, I was like, hey, when are you playing? You're like, I played last week. And I was like. Yeah. Because I heard you were playing, but I missed it. How was it to be back on yeah, stage? Yeah, it was great. That gig was actually really fun and good. Um. Yeah, kind of kept it like on a low key in terms of. I mean, it was our first gig post pandemic, so um, we kind of changed the show a bit. No, it was good. It was good. Like we we had we rehearsed a a, a heap, and so. Um, Who's in the group? Just me and Jane now. Okay, yeah. So we kind of moved everything to a kind of smaller setup, more electronic, um, and kind of changed uh, a bunch of stuff. So it was um, it was really fun. Um, and then we went back into lockdown. I think a couple of couple of weeks later, and yeah, the roller coaster. So I love the under tier stuff a lot. Cool. How how what's? Yeah, I mean, I was writing lyrics for that yesterday. So this was so like I'm really doing some like I'm really trying to kind of get my creative spark back. So I did I've, I did a writer's workshop um a couple of weeks ago, and then I I'm doing this like weekly course now. And yeah, I'm doing a lot of reading and um, discovering like. What are you reading right now? Um, right now I'm reading a amazing memoir by this queer author called Carmen Maria Makoda, and this the book is called In the Dream House. I feel like her I just pronounced her last name wrong. That's okay. In the Dream House, and it's about a, a queer relationship. Um, it's kind of written in a. Um, hermit crab style. Uh, What's that? So, hermit crab style is sort of like instead of so this so basic the book is about um an abusive relationship that she's in with this woman that she meets at this period of time where she's in this really abusive relationship, uh-huh. but she's writing it in a style. So hermit crab style is sort of like it can work well when there's really sort of like I don't know trauma attached to the story or you don't want to. It it can kind of have a humorous angle to it. Um, so like. Someone might write a memoir in the form of a complaint letter, or someone might write a memoir in the form of a recipe, or so, or in a different, or okay. 
in a diary style or I don't know. Okay. Um, so she's kind of doing it. So the, the book is called In the Dream House and she's doing it like every... So she's doing like... Um, so every chapter is sort of like Dream House as a melodrama. And then she'll write a bit. And then it's like Dream House as a... Oh, like everyone, I can't, I can't think of them now, but like every chapter is like in a, it's like, it's like Dreamhouse in a, whatever, a different style or Dreamhouse as a prologue, Dreamhouse as, and it's, it's in this way. And she's also kind of, and she's, she's writing in, not in the first person, but in, um, how was that? Not the third person. Ugh, I hate when I can't articulate myself. Um, it's how she, she's. Oh, I need to, which I don't want to do, um, is look at my phone. But anyway, it's, 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 it's really great. And it's, and it's, it's kind of written in this experimental way and it's just real refreshing and it's a real page turner. And so I'm definitely enjoying that. And it's a queer story as well. And I'm, I'm always, the books that I read, I'm always drawn towards, um, kind of, I guess, like the last book I read then was, um, Douglas Stewart, Shuggy Bain. And it's an addiction story in the tenements in Glasgow and uh, Shuggy Bain's mom is a raging alcoholic. And it's just a great, great book. It's great. And really pulled at my heartstrings. Um, and then stuff like, and then, you know, I like nonfiction. The book I read before that then was uh, Patrick Radden Keefe. And he wrote, he, he I first, well, I first, when I, the first book I read of his was he did a book called Say Nothing. And it's, a, it's about the IRA. And it's amazing. And so he wrote another book um, on the Oxycontin uh, uh, opiate uh, pandemic in, in in America. And it's all about the Sacklers. And the, the, the Sacklers? The Sacklers. Oh, the people who... Who the really rich people who, yeah. you know, lied to everybody and told the whole world that Oxycontin wasn't addictive. Um, mm. And it's this big whopper thick book. And I just ate it up. It's written so well. It's so great. So I'm kind of drawn to... I'm still kind of drawn to kind of misery stories, addiction stories. Dude, yeah. I don't fuck with anything else. Yeah. So it's the only thing I can really kind of makes me excited or I don't know, just feeling the pain or I don't know. So it's really like, yeah, I'm trying not, I'm just trying to have way less screen time and way less, you know, social media time. And it's all like, well, it's all a waste of fucking time, you know? And I just mm-hmm. want to, we only have so much, right? You know? Seriously, seriously. Gotta enjoy it. You know like, looking re- for the joy in life. Yeah. You know that reminder comes up on your phone to tell you about your screen time for the week? Like, that disturbs me if it's too high. Like, I don't want, you know, like, if you're on your deathbed and you look back and, like, half of your, like, adult life was spent scrolling, it's just like... It's a bit much. Yeah. I just don't want to waste my time doing that. Waste my time looking at what other people are doing, you know, and then feeling bad about myself, like... I'm not interested in that. So do you get, do you have like a trove of books you're chipping away at? Do you chip away at more than one at a time? No, I can't do that. I, do, I can't do that. I have to go all in on I'm one book. I'm usually like three at a time. I'm so impressed by that. Jane's a bit like that. I can't do that. One's like scholastic. It's like transcribing Via Kinder von Bonhof zu from German to German. Oh, wow. As my German lesson of the day. Amazing. And currently it's Upanishads. Mm-hmm. And then a friend actually wrote a book, uh, Sponsi wrote a book there, this coming out book. Amazing. Um, but it's like this person and like a dozen other people. And 
I think it's a, a format that I haven't really heard too much of or haven't seen that much or hadn't read myself, but it's like my friend's story, just, but it's not really focusing on my friend. It's like they're sort of the curator and then they, the person tells their story and then they sort of like have these, it's really an interesting concept. I don't even, like I'm, I'm not a writer. <clears throat> um, except actually, to be honest, that book that's on the, this big box that's in the hallway. Mm -hmm. Do you know how we did this queer tattooer book? Oh, yeah. It arrived today. Yeah. Oh, amazing. So, so I have uh, them there. Amazing. Um, and then you know what I fucking read? That I was like really avoiding this person, but I'm so grateful I like finally got there because I was listening to their podcast. After Nika was like, you should listen, listen this person's interest, like, um, um, this person wrote a book called Recovery. Yeah. And, um, uh, I found their personality before, like, allowing it to wash over me and just let them be, maybe knowing a little bit more about their history or whatever, like, as, like, a, as a junkie and someone who just is a comedian or whatever, like, yeah. this Russell Brandt person. Yeah. And the, so they wrote their own version of the steps. Mm -hmm. Was the brand did? Yeah. Oopsie. I think you would like it. I don't know. I'm gone off with LeBron Brody, I have to say. Real gone off with LeBron with his kind of anti-vax rhetoric and I don't know, he's... So I've heard that because when I when I get into something, I used to love him, right? Like I used to be like, oh, Russell Brand in recovery, he's on the money, and then it feels like he's just like spinning this kind of quasi. Is he an anti-vaxxer? Yeah, well, he's, yeah, it's just an anti-vax sentiment kicking around. Well, you know how it is. It it kind of goes. It, you know, the right wing nearly goes so right that it comes back left again. So, you know, you have to, you know, on the extreme left, you have these like wellness people who don't want to put anything bad in their body and they're meditating and they can heal themselves. And he's kind of verging on that kind of. Okay. Yeah, that doesn't. And basically like, you know, you know, make up your own mind to your own research bullshit. Like, you know, um, which and I've dipped into some of his latest videos and I'm just like, whoa, I feel like he's gone the other way completely. And that's why I like if, when and if I get into And I mean, someone, the fact that you just said he's wrote his own version of the steps, like that But this screams... is like a, a decade ago or okay. something. Okay. So, or eight years or something. Okay. And that's, so maybe it, so far it's maybe been not my downfall, but I do really like the origins of somebody. Yeah. Like I want to, <coughs> excuse me, I kind of want to, if, if I'm really into someone's podcast, I go all, all the way back to the beginning, you know, like, so, so, like, so same. Yeah, well, like Dharma Punks, for instance, you yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah. and listening to Josh Corda. I want to know, because now, after that podcast was going for 15 yeah. years or something, yeah. the format's different. I think I'm not that interested in it. But if I go yeah. all the way back to 2006 or 2008, whenever, I'm hella interested. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's just, and then it'll get to a point where I, it peters out. For me, it's like, okay, now, no, you know? Yeah, but yeah. then I would have listened to hundreds and hundreds of episodes. Yeah, and, wow. and I feel like one of this I feel like this is one of my teachers, you know, Josh in particular. Yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah. I, I listen to as well, I listen to Jack Cornfield's podcast. Yeah. And I also from if I'm like, okay, yes, I go from the beginning. And yeah, I listen wow. to I listen to Jack's podcast every other every three days because I have, you know, maybe a dozen podcasts yeah. that I listen to. And yeah. So I feel like you know, I would even say Jessica Lineato is one of my teachers, even though is in this case, because this person, I think I believe their politics a bit more. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of get current, their perception of current news and mm. the state of things. Mm. I mean, I actually had listened to that, like, current. Mm. And the backlog is, like, also too, mu too much, you know? Yeah. yeah and it, yeah. because it's about astrology, like, I get to learn a lot about astrology, but it's yeah. really interesting to learn about what's actually happening right now in astrology, yeah, you know? Yeah, 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 sure. But yeah, to, to, I don't know. But honestly, I fucking laughed so hard at this recovery book. 
It yeah, is yeah, it, brilliant. Yeah, it, honestly, it's up so, there somewhere. These are the books. I nearly, I actually nearly bought it. Like this is the period when I when I liked. Yeah. When I liked him, and then it's just it's just recently I feel like he's gone off the boil. I feel like recently, I do believe I heard that. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. He's just gone a bit. I don't know. I haven't really. He was saying some weird stuff about Ukraine as well, like, and I was just like, shut the fuck up, like, you know, an invasion is an invasion, a war is a war, like, people are dying. Like, you know what I mean? Is there so much to discuss? Not really. Um, but yeah, the recovery book, like, because I, I was a, I definitely was a Russell Brand fan. I thought he was hilarious. I loved his take on, on, on recovery. Yeah. And his drug use and his yeah. big old crackhead and yeah. all that He's stuff. He's a smackhead. And then, he talks about sex addiction, which I really appreciate. And he also talks about food addiction, which I yeah, really appreciate. Yeah. And so like, yeah. for someone with a profile as big, yeah. to be that transparent and yeah. to, to be willing Wonderful. to... Yeah, it's yeah. fucking helpful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I... I agree. And packages yeah. it in this type of, of humor that... Because he's funny, he's witty, so sharp, Dude, so sharp. Unbelievably intelligent. And have you watched him recently? No, I don't bother because I've heard, I, yeah, I haven't like, got there yet. But he's I've... in kind of like a pseudo. I don't know what he's doing. It's sort of like it's like he's gone on to the edge of. He even in his videos he's doing like meditations with people. Like he does. Okay, close your eyes and then let's count to. In in his chaotic kind of YouTube videos, he'll also add in a meditation at the end, and it feels a bit like I don't know. It doesn't for me. It just doesn't sit with me. Yeah. Um. I wouldn't go. I want to go to Russell Brand to have a laugh. I wouldn't go to Russell Brand to have like a meditation. <laughs> a quick meditation. You know what I mean? So <laughs> dip in with he's, Russell. He's kind of gone deep in that that way. He's gone very kind of like wellness verging on conspiracy theories. So I yeah. I don't want to hear it. Basically, I think. But in saying that, I haven't listened to anything very recently. I just got turned off by a bunch of stuff that I had in the recent pandemic years. I suppose. Yeah. But the recovery book. Um. I like swearing, I swearing. I have it. Get, uh, if you want it, I'm happy to lend it to you. It's up there. I'll hit you up when I finish this book. Yeah, that yeah, I'm yeah, one at a time. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, and so higher power. That's the one thing I wanted to maybe overarching. Uh, how did you come to believe? It's funny here you're talking about this because we. Uh, it was one of the questions that I asked. Uh, this young girl that we chat, I chat a bit on Saturday. I was like, I think it was, where you at with your higher power? That's what people used to say to you. That's what people used to say to you in Dublin, right? Like someone just approaching me and where you at with your higher power? You might share something really heartbreaking or fucked up, and then instead of someone going, instead of someone going, I'm sorry to hear that. They just be like, where you at with your higher power? I was like, okay, cool. Um, so helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, my biggest came to believe is that. I did not get myself into recovery. I did not get myself clean. How whatever happened to me that got me clean was not of my doing. Um and every consequence and every thing that's happened in my life. I'm definitely a person who believes in pre pre everything's predesignated. And um, in the way of fate and this kind of stuff. Like stuff. I just think our paths are laid out for us <clears throat> kind of. Yeah. Because there's too much like, you know, we talk about, oh, I didn't, you know, I got kicked out of America. But then if I did, if I hadn't got kicked out of America, I wouldn't have continued with my degree. I wouldn't have come to London. I wouldn't have come to Berlin. I never would have met Jane. I never would have met you. Never got married. Yeah. You know, so I feel like, okay, that happened for a reason. My path, I'm, sp- I'm on the path I'm supposed to be on. So, yeah, I just believe that there's a force, like, bigger than myself that... Uh, works and I see it all the time in action I mean 
we seeing it now. We're seeing every Berliner running around, um, you know, running to the Hauptbahnhof to take in refugees, to bring them food. To I've got a friend of mine is going to the border on Tuesday. There's a whole convoy going, and you know, uh, AKA are collecting. Uh, yeah. You know, you you see, you see, you know, we can get very depressed in times like this, but you know, there's still a lot of a lot of hope out there, and yeah. So if I was to focus on my god or what who i would see i mean i definitely i'd be kind of leaning towards uh the buddha um you know those kind of principles mm-hmm. um that's where it all comes from yeah like in 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 every way in terms of like animals insects and uh, i'm going all the way back to my childhood treat people how you want to be treated not that i'm an expert at that or anything like uh, just try my best um i have plenty of def- you know defaults and stuff um but yeah but my main thing the main thing that i ha- hung on to and still kind of hang on to is that like a lot of the stuff that happens in my life is not of my doing it's just not i don't have the capabilities you know like i said i'm a procrastinator i'm an underachiever i'm a bit of a slacker like so lots of when lots of you know when good stuff happens um and when so, I, I just feel like i'm something is looking after me so that that that's so it's the it's the uh, I, it's hard to pinpoint um like a, a visual on that like is it know? a feeling in your body do you think yeah i don't know I'm a feeling in my body like a feeling a feeling more not so much in my body but more in the in in the world like in the in the atmosphere or the energy or uh, the ether. yeah in the ether it's outside of me you know like it's not in like for sure like i i have power in me too but it's definitely outside of me and because you know sometimes when i'm meditating i kind of want a visual you know i'm asking i'm praying praying to my higher power and i'm asking for this that and i'm often going what am i praying to right now you know like what does it look like i always try to make sense of it in a, in a, in a visual way but i never can i can never pinpoint anything so um but yeah like has step 11 been a big thing for you since the beginning or did it develop it developed it's a big thing for me now yeah you know like and this is why like i reevaluate the steps a lot like you know you know because this again sorry to always talk about this conversation i had on saturday but it really brought me back there you know we did one two and three in the rehab you know i was like one, you did one two and three in the rehab like you'd be doing that again you know and like it's like the steps are so perfect and so laid out in the most perfect order of all time. And I know, should there be a guide? Maybe there should be a stronger guide of depending on how fucking long you stay clean. You know what I mean? Because step 11 means more to me now than it ever meant for me ever. Like in the first, you know, sure. I went to a meditation meeting and we sat quietly for five minutes before the meeting started, which is lovely. But, um, it just means more more to me now. I don't think I was capable of quietening myself back then. I don't think I was capable of quietening myself 10 years ago. Um, so, like, the order and how the steps play out is, um, you know, maybe there should be, like, a guideline. You're on the first step for the first five years. <laughs> then you look at... Well, I mean, step one, and two, step one is for two years, and then you're... Uh, while you're doing step one, you're bringing in step two... And then at one point, like they're, they're paralleling together, you know, you're working on both and then you're moving to three, you know, like, you know, making amends and making lists and stuff like that's really hardcore stuff. You know, you've got to be really strong in yourself. If we're talking about trauma and we're talking about 
or we don't, we're so, we're, we're, you know, we don't, we're not even, you know, the way they say there's things, you know, and there's things, you know, that, you know, and then there's things that you don't know. And then there's things that you don't know that you don't know. Uh, you know there's things that we don't even know that we don't even know. Like we could have another conversation in 10 years time and go, remember that? And then, but this was going on for me, but you know, in hindsight is great as well. Um, Hang on, I've lost my trail of thought. What are we talking about? Yeah. Just like the things you don't know, you don't know. Yeah, like... The progression other, yeah, so steps. trauma, okay? Just trauma. Like, our body will keep it in for your own safety, your own your own sanity and the good of your health. And then it starts to reveal itself in a behavior maybe six, seven, eight years down the line. You start being a fucking dickhead. You start fucking shagging everyone you meet. You start, start like, eating chocolate like a crazy person start, like we did. You start binging. You start fucking chain smoking. You're robbing. You, whatever it is, you know, you're doing a lot of stuff like, you know. And then it's like, hang on, what's going on there? And then maybe now do I, do I look at a fourth step? Or do I, you know, obviously you do multiple fourth steps or multiple fifth steps and you know, they stay, the, 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 the steps stay the same, you know, it's very reassuring that they sit, they stay the same and they're, they're always there and they can always be used and how, for, what form you use them in, you know, um, um, so yeah, like, 11 steps, very important to me now, more than ever, I think, and also, Brody, I think old age plays a part in this as well, I gotta say, you know, you move on in your recovery, but you also grow older and you mellow out, Think and it's get like, a couple of dogs. You get a couple of dogs. Get married. But you know, there's a kind of I don't know. Is that would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's. Do it's, you feel like in accompaniment to your recovery, old age has mailed you out? Yeah. We're kind of. We're just, how old are you? I think I'm a year younger than I'm forty two. I'm forty four. Are you forty four this year or? I just went forty four. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so I'll be forty. I will be forty three this year. This year, yeah. We're like a year and a half or something. Yeah. Like so I think it kind of. Because you're a Pisces. Sagittarius. Sagittarius. Yeah. Would I think Scorpio over Scorpio rising? I have to double check. I think my parents don't know when I was born, what time I was born. And my dad says five a.m., but my mom doesn't know. I don't know that. I can't remember. You know, <laughs> she's busy. That's the story of my life, right there. Like my, you know, everything I wanted from my mother, like she just wasn't able to give to me somehow. And Maybe. so that rings true with that. Like, when was I born? You don't even know when I was born. Like, fuck. Why not? <laughs> anyway, but look, it was 44 years ago, right? That's a long yeah. fucking time. But uh, yeah, anyway, I think old age is playing a part in my life as yeah. well. Yeah. And I guess also maybe for that matter, who you're surrounding yourself with, like you, you know, the road narrows, right? Totally. I've got... Intentionally, a lot. I don't know about you, but I definitely lost a few friends in the pandemic. Friends we lost to the pandemic, like that should that's a book right there. I I I don't know. Well, tragically and no, just not tragically. Just well, people, you know, people really made you know. In my experience, I found that like some of my friends made the pandemic really about themselves, and it was only happening to them, and that they needed to be helped where it was happening to the world and it was every everyone needed help and you know it was hard to be there you know for everybody um but I was also in a pandemic you were in a pandemic everyone was just trying to fucking cope you know but like you know definitely friends um and I just I it blew me away I was like are you serious right now like you I can I'm just trying to cope myself you know what I mean? A couple of friends wanted me to visit them in a different country, like two months into two months into the pandemic. You know, I got COVID in um March, 
and they wanted they wanted they they wanted a trip to their place in in the summertime and it just it wasn't happening and this was a you know a really they were really like hurt hurt by this you know and it's just like what planet are you on right now you know what i mean and just like just a couple of mad little mad things happened with and but look each to their own but my tolerance for fucking bullshit and um uh what's bullshit and i don't know what else but uh my tolerance for that kind of stuff is really like has lessened like over the years as well but just capacity you know yeah yeah um yeah boundaries actually like i just have my 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 boundaries are really like really solid now as well and i don't think they ever ever wore that's like a new recent year revelation where I always said I had boundaries, but actually I don't know if I did, you know what I mean? So a lot of the things perhaps in my early recovery I gave lip service to, I'm really seeing in fruitation now. Mm. You know, fucking 20 years down the line, you know, but everyone's journey is different, but this has been my journey. So a lot of, you know, I'm still discovering things about myself, but my boundaries are definitely something that's really strong and like the bullshit meter is you know, got a full set of batteries and uh, it's, you know, it's just fucking bullshit. Like, not, you can't listen to it. I mean, I know you had your own kind of experiences with, you know, friends and stuff in the pandemic, but for people who made the pandemic about themselves and what they were going through, I found that hard to exclusively made it about themselves in a world pandemic. I definitely struggled with that um, rhetoric, basically. Yeah. <clears throat> so since we met, I mean, I met you and you were well tattooed and like very specific and like intentional about who you're getting tattooed by and then you started tattooing yourself and other people and you've kind of like come full circle to like cresting above the collar and onto the face yeah and very specifically though with like very spiritual and um representations of maybe where you're at yeah yeah defo like a lot of um like a lot of reminders all over over yeah. the place for sure and i mean yeah and definitely by like i don't i don't want to get like i definitely would never want to be tattooed by any kind of mad bastard or kind of negative vibes or anything like that you know like um but me tattooing me tattooing that was just that was just a bit of a laugh like you know like just never wanted to take away from the art of tattooing so you know people are like oh, you should tattoo and i was like no no i shouldn't because you have to respect the art form and you have to um you have to do your time as an apprentice and yeah so um that was just something for me that was really fun and if someone was in my house and they wanted a shitty <laughs> tattoo they could certainly have one um but in all <clears throat> due respect to the art form it was never going to be anything serious ever you know it's just um and it's really difficult <laughs> you know <laughs> there's that <laughs> there's that as well it's like it's really 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 hard and i definitely have not got the hang of it and um yeah um but yeah like tattooing i love i love tattoos and i love also what you do and um yeah, I mean, the facial thing was sort of like, you know, we went into lockdown and we were working from home and I didn't really have to go to the office. So I was like, ah, oh, fuck it. No one's going to see me anyway. <laughs> but then I kind of, you know, just in case, kind of, you know, 
didn't put it like you know right in the front of my face or anything um but yeah no it's never no one's ever really noticed it actually in, in work no one's ever said anything to me about it which is kind of interesting so but our work is pretty chill like we work in music and it's pretty relaxed and there's a lot of tattooed people in there so as you know things are changing yeah and it's so nice to have to know that the full circle of you and an old friend are back and have been back in each other's lives for a long time and this person's been tattooing you and that just like when you told me that and I saw the two of you in the same space and there was comfort like the sense of comfort I was like <gasps> I just noticed this huge amount of like <gasps> stress just kind of like it just, I was like oh my god yeah we've come through that yeah. and yeah. it's on the other side yeah you were like a casualty of war with kind them. of yeah a little bit and um, no that's yeah by, that's, pro- by proximity yeah no that's and knowing all of y'all yeah, you know, there's a lot of things in there. You know, a lot, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons in there. You know. Well, yeah, of course. A big big bag of ingredients, dash of lesbian drama, a dash of crisis and recovery, a dash of um shitty friend friends just being shitty, you know, on both sides and stuff. And yeah, yeah it was just it was a you know back then was. Uh, everyone was in really kind of difficult places and I yeah. think it played out like that you know but that was when I moved moved here it was really there was like a big mix of like discomfort yeah. going on yeah because that yeah, John, you... John's friend passed that week yeah yeah dun, 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 just kind of kept yeah you fell into a right bowl of lesbian drama when you dropped into Berlin it's pretty funny it was great <laughs> yeah and back then when the house was an entire floor and yeah 220 square meters yo I didn't even see any all of the rooms I don't think I'd ever been into all of them. Yeah, I mean, some of them were a bit dilapidated, but, uh, yeah, good times. Like, that was real good. It was fun. Like, that was, even though there was a lot of craziness going on in everyone's lives, like, I think it was a really nice period. And then, you know, we've we've always had, we formed, like, a kind of special bond, and we've, we've kept it, like, you know, even though we always talk about the same thing every time we see each other, even though we don't see you all the time. You know? <laughs> but it's so, it's very true, you know? It's we're really, true. like, we have, we're definitely tethered, and it's such a comfort to know that like you're in the city and that you're there and um uh I, I mean if anything was going on with me you'd be pretty much my first port of call I would say um you know especially 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 now like I'm not I'm not um, having a break from therapy and having support's really important like yeah. you can't so do so much so you can't beat that shit you can't do this thing on your own you hear you know all the slogans all the phrases you can't you can't do it on your own like you need support and you need you need um, a cuppa every once in a while yeah you need a cuppa dude I just want to say thank you it was a total pleasure I like you you brought your I've never seen this sweater on you before this one yeah this is yeah positive messages positive messages that's the it's like the it's like the antithesis of Berlin. It's like a colorful sweater with a positive like <laughs> sentiment <Yeah>. on it. <laughs> but I think I don't know, things might be changing. People yeah. I think probably like vacated because in Corona they're like, Well I can't I can't be out in the world doing the thing that I moved here to do, which is yeah. generally party and yeah. be debaucherous and live yeah. off of staying awake or whatever, you know? Yeah. Like really going for it and yeah. it's it's it was really sad. Lots of people in the AKA circle, Philippe's f- friend circle, <sighs> totally. passed. Yeah, a lot of people. At, like actually five, maybe yeah. even more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, the city can be very dark. Yeah. And if you don't have 
friends, like real friends, not party friends. And if you're not grounded, you're in trouble. Yeah. And I think that definitely played out in the pandemic. And, you know, a lot of young men died. And yeah. that's just the people that we know. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Still I'm very doing... grateful. Yeah. We're very grateful for what I have. Yeah. Yeah. 21 years, dude. 21. Th- 21 years. Thank you so much for inviting me to yeah. have fun, a chat. Yeah. Yeah, it was. A, I think it was we might great. have chopped off Hannah's. I know. I oh think. no, we're coming close. We should probably blab for another oh. ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. You're welcome.